Welcome to another special episode of True Diligence. Jill and I just continuing to try to talk to the folks in the hospitality industry in and around Kansas City who have been hit so hard during the coronavirus, COVID-19, and uh, what they are trying to do to stay afloat and to help other people. And Jill, this time we're talking to two restaurants and two restaurant owners who have an incredible heart for first responders. Absolutely. We're talking with uh, Jake Imperiali of Bellinopoly in Brookside and Beth Barden of Succotash over on Hospital Hill. And both of them are helping uh, first responders in the medical community, which is pretty cool. And I didn't realize this until we were talking to both of them um, uh, last week that they have both been open for 19 years, both restaurants. And both restaurants are pretty think, lucky, Lindsay. <laughs> wild. Well, and um, it made so much sense when I thought about, when I think about Succotash and Bella Napoli, I think about this incredible sense of community before any of this started. Those are more than restaurants. Those are gathering places for entire groups of people, for neighborhoods, a place where everybody feels really welcome. Uh, so it seems pretty fitting that those places are doing what they're doing now. Absolutely. There's some really great work out there and it's it's fascinating to me to see how people are changing and evolving and adapting during this time. You know, um, I think Secatash started with, with trying to do takeout. I think Bellinopoly may have done the same and, mm -hmm. you know, you, you continue to do that or you transition into a pay it forward mo model. Everybody is really, you know, working hard to figure out where they fit in mm -hmm. and it's, it's really gratifying to see how hard they're working at it. And you'll hear both um, Beth and Jake talk about uh, some immense generosity from a few key customers or people in their lives that are helping their operations move forward and to pay it forward. And then uh, even these every dollar counts gifts from everybody. Everybody is contributing to this and helping it move and keep it going and, and offer these meals to first responders. And then, you know, to hear Beth talk about the doctors and nurses and healthcare workers who work a block away who come in every single day, and to hear Jake talk about his daughter, an ER nurse, who inspired him to want to do this. Uh, I just keep coming back to these, both of these places and so many of the restaurants in our city are more than just a restaurant. They really are. They're reaching deep into the community. And, and we've talked to a lot of different people. By no means are these the only ones doing these sorts of, you know, really wonderful um, reaching out into the community. Obviously, um, Crossroads Kitchen with uh, Howard Hanna, we talked to him early yeah. on. Um, Thelma's, I hear that lines continue to be long over there yeah. um, and they continue to feed people, um, you know, uh, Black Sheep's another one that went to a pay it forward model when it, you know, was clear that they just really, you know, I think people are deciding for different reasons. Sometimes it's just not making enough money. So let's do the one thing that we can. And then I think other times people are just saying, you know, that's really where my heart lies. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for you to hear more about what they have to say. You'll also hear a little bit from Beth from Succotash talking about people attending Easter services. Just some news context to go for when you're listening through that. Uh, religious services have been a contentious issue in Kansas, beginning with 
Governor Kelly's executive order prohibiting religious institutions from holding gatherings with more than 10 people. The latest from that, as of this recording at least, is a temporary restraining order granted against her executive order. Uh, we have a lot more news coverage from 41 Action News. You can find all that at kshb.com. So first up, uh, we want to introduce you to Jake Imperiale from Bella Napoli. Jake, thank you for joining us. Jake Imperiale from Bella Napoli. Man, you guys have had a very um, stressful, stressful last two or three weeks, as all restaurant owners I'm sure have. What has yeah. been going on with you guys the last two or three weeks? What is what? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. What have the last two or three weeks been like for you? They're uh, very stressful. You know, I just worry about my employees trying to keep as many people working as possible and just trying to keep the doors open right now. How is the carry-out model working? Is it enough to keep you guys going? It, it is helping a lot. You know, the neighborhood's been incredibly supportive, which it's always has been. Um, and I owe a great gratitude to them. Um, it's just been... You know, you put your heart and soul into building something and then to sustain it and then something you couldn't even imagine coming to take it all away. It's kind of scary. How long has Bella Napoli been in Brookside? We've been here 19 years. 19, 19 years, actually, last, well, yesterday would have been our anniversary, 19 years. Oh, my goodness. I know my family and I have been uh, frequent visitors. We have so many fond memories there. Uh, yeah. Jake, did you guys start online ordering because of what's going on now? You know, interestingly enough, we've been talking about doing it, and we launched it during this, which um, <laughs> just happened to be worked out that way, um, which actually helps because now we can work out all the bugs on it because we're still, we still having a little bit of issues with it. But for the most part, it's been working really well. And is that an abbreviated menu that you're doing, Jake? Yeah, we are doing an abbreviated menu. We're not doing any um, meat or fish dishes. We're doing primarily pizzas and pastas and salads. Having still having trouble even getting some of our supplies from my distributors um, and our local people too. So it's well, been you becoming a challenge. Your items from Italy, and I know you had written on your website that you're heartbroken for your family and friends that are over there. What can you tell us about? Have you been able to talk to them? What are they going through? Yeah, I, I, I have been talking to them often. Um, one of them was my mother's flower girl from her wedding, and she was commenting, this is worse than the war. <laughs> and I said, wow. So, I mean, at least I guess during the war, you were able to get out. And she said, we're, we're basically prisoners in our own house. So they, they're not even allowed to go outside the door unless they are going to the store. They can't go for walks. and. It's been hard on him. What part of Italy is she in? She's in Rome, and I have friends in Naples, and I have some up in northern Italy near Venice. So everyone's going through the same thing. It's been it's been really hard, and it's hard listening to it. Because I mean, we're going through it, but I don't. I think they're taking it to the next level. They're they're really isolating themselves. Are you worried that we'll get to a point where we need to do that as well? God, I hope not. I'm hoping this uh, subsides soon because uh, this has been hard. I think it's hard on people, not just on businesses, but on just people's psyche in general. It's just, it, it, you know, it brings a sense of loneliness to, to the area. You know, a lot of people 
um, who generally are very social beings are now being asked to not be social. <laughs> so it's been hard. I was telling Jill about uh, what you just started with the sandwiches, Operation Feed the Front Lines. Yes, yes. I, I started this quietly about a month ago. My daughter's in healthcare. She's a nurse. And I started bringing food to them. And then a very generous friend who comes in, I guess, got wind of it. And his kids are also on the front line and wanted to expand the program. And this is where it all began. It all kind of, I started doing it because I recall at my father's funeral, I remember growing up, he used to have six, seven sandwiches at his lunch pail and never understood how he could possibly eat so much. This man came up to me and said, you know, your dad used to feed the railroad yard. Oh. I said, wow, all these years he never said a word. <laughs> and so this is my way of being my dad. <laughs> hmm. And I saw you guys post yesterday that you had a really young customer want to be a part of it. Oh, that. my God. That was probably the most touching thing that has happened since I've been here. One of them. There's been a lot of great moments in this store. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of my consultants said that a little boy went to their house because he wanted to go to Bella for lunch. And the mother explained to him that, you know, well, we can't go. But, you know, Bella's doing a lot of nice things. And he went over to the house with a $10 bill, which was his lunch money, and wanted to give it to us for the cost. And that, that was just, it was really touchy. It was awesome. I love the really beautiful moments of humanity we're seeing right now. Right? I, I think we are. You know, unfortunately, you see a lot of the bad, but, you know, there's so much good that I see. And, you know, everyone uses the term of, uh, just be kind, you know, I think that that says a lot. It really means a lot to hear that. Because we're all in this together and, and we just need to get through it and being supportive with each other. And I, you know, it brings me back to the story when I was in Italy with my mother, the last time I was there, she was telling me stories with her childhood friend, you know, and they were telling these horrible stories about the war and, and the bombings. And, and I'm hearing that she and her friend were laughing. And I said, mom, what's so funny? She goes, you don't understand. We were together then. It's like they came together as a community and they were able to find the good and helped one another. And I think this is kind of, she's kind of upstairs telling me, this is a lesson you need to learn. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's a valuable lesson. Yeah. Take stock of what you got. If somebody wants to help you give sandwiches to hospitals, what can they do? Well, they can join uh, our operation feed the front line with donations. Um, other than that, just be kind to one another. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Do you have specific hospitals you're working with, Jake? Currently, we're working with Research, KU, and St. Luke's on the plaza. Where is your daughter? Uh, did you say she's a doctor or a nurse? Or? No, she's a nurse. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say what. Well, that's okay. I thank you for what she's doing. And, you know, it's just incredible what all these healthcare workers are doing. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, I think she got it. So she's at home quarantined right now. Wow. Parents watching her through a window, and that's all you can do. It's pretty, uh, it's hard. It's hard to see it. But she's doing pretty well. 
So I think being in the ER, she probably uh, picked up a stronger immune system than we have. So, but she's doing pretty well. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm praying that she gets better quickly. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Jake, I know you're busy making sandwiches. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Well, thank you for uh, hearing me out. You guys be safe. You too. All right. Thank you very much. Beth Barden joining Jill and I via Zoom right now. Beth, thank you for coming on one of our special episodes of Chew Diligence. Um, we wanted to talk to you because you've made a, a very big change to how Succotash is operating, even after several changes you've made just in the last couple of weeks. Kind of walk us through what the last month has been like for you and your staff. Um, well, to be honest with you, I think the biggest thing is that all of the changes that I'm making are driven by a desire to um, protect as many people as I can and then also feed as many people as I can. Um, most of the decisions being made are, it's a group consensus. It's not just a, um, dictated from the top down. It really is a willingness of people that want to help uh, and want to stay rooted to the restaurant and want to make sure that they have a place to come back to, like beyond just kind of a, um, a desire for hours, it's actually a desire to do something in the midst of everything that's so terrible that makes sense. And I think for me, um, at first we thought that perhaps we could do a sustainable takeout business, but then, you know, it's like we probably would have been just fine with it. Um, in to some degree, like not thriving and not, you know, not really killing it, but, you but know, enough, probably enough to like not bleed out uh, to the point that we were, you know, having to close the doors for good. But the reality is that for me, um, managing the risk of how many people, the people that are working for me are in contact with every day, it didn't make sense. And then also having to maintain a huge amount of inventory to maintain a specific kind of menu. And then the pressure of time and the pressure of, uh, of all of the logistics. It, to me, it just seemed like one misstep, one cough, one I forgot my gloves, one I'm tired, one any of that. Um, and it just seemed unreasonable to me. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, how can we somehow find something in the middle and shift to something where we can still, you know, I, we have a healthy pantry. There's a lot of stuff there. And our one skill set is that we can take a very small amount of stuff and turn it into a huge amount of food for a lot of people. And there are a lot of people that are doing an insanely good job of trying to feed community and trying to feed service workers that are out of work and industry workers that are out of work. But there aren't that many people that are, are going straight to like frontline feeding. And it's not like a moral equivalency, like we're all fighting for our lives. We all have different paths to what that looks like. And truly, if you're not sitting down with somebody at their home with their books, with the last 10 years of whatever they've been doing, you kind of don't have a right to complain about what people are and aren't doing. Um, people are all gonna react to this very differently and they're all gonna have a different path to what looks like a possibility for maintaining livelihoods and like being productive. Um, mine just felt like realistically, if I can operate without having to bring in huge amounts of product and get really small, 
then we can take that little tiny bit and we can make a huge amount with it, control our risk with curbside delivery to very specific things in very specific places um, and have a huge amount of impact. And so it felt to me like if you're going to work just for a paycheck and you're going to work just to feed people for me and for the people that work for me, that didn't feel like a rational reason. Like, why would you, why wouldn't you just go home and collect unemployment and like expect it's all going to blow over? I don't have to pay anything out, pull everything in tight. And we just hunker down for a few months, you know, two, three months, four months, 12 months, 18 months, who knows? <laughs> but you know, that, that would have been like, for me, like the easy road for me, but I just felt like if we can do something in a controlled way that makes sense and we can have an impact. Um, and we've been giving food to like the um, German medical center, their behavioral pantry, like the behavioral center pantry and like just, you know, low key, anybody that comes to the door that needs food or calls and needs food or families or, you know, like my Instacart driver hooked up with her and, you know, fed her Easter dinner and then some of her friends and families that needed that. And I just think if you kind of take care of everybody that's within your arm's distance, then everybody's going to be okay. Mm. And if you go, go back to kind of a sharing kind of mentality, you can't, to me, I can't worry about profit. I can't worry about any of the functional things that you're meant to worry about. I just, who cares? And I think that, you know, the first step to civil unrest is hunger. And if people are already suffering and have a boot on their neck and there doesn't seem to be any clear guidance and nobody seems to really give a shit at the end of the day and you're isolated and you're terrified and you can't, you have a phone, but the phone's going to get turned off and then you can't get through to unemployment and just all of the million horrible things that are happening to people. Um, and I think you add hunger into the mix and you are, you're looking for an explosion. I agree. I think I think that's one of those things that the people are afraid to talk about. How what? bad could it get? How oh, bad? It's gonna, it's gonna get ugly, and it's gonna get worse before bad. it gets better. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. It, it to me, there's no question. Like I think we are on the precipice of a major uh, paradigm shift and unhinging of a lot of things. Beth, I I see you online posting. Um, asks for people in your life a lot how is your staff doing and, and people regular customers and i'm just assuming that's who they are maybe they're not people that you just interact with every day honestly like um the staff seems to be doing very well i mean from what they express to me um doing well um there's a core group of people that are very interested in being there um really nobody was laid off against their will. Nobody was fired against their will. Everybody's been furloughed. And the ones that were furloughed were people that could be absorbed into their families or absorbed into other places where they could be taken care of. Um, and then the people that are kind of on the cusp, I'm just doing my best to try to keep them floating personally. And as long as the restaurant's open, my whole staff has access to groceries and TP and cleaning supplies so that, you know, it keeps, keeps them one step away from um, having to worry about feeding themselves and also 
having to go to stores and like fight for things or figure out how to get things. Um, it's an entire country. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay their utilities. They can't pay their bills right now. And it's not their fault. And so if everybody's in the same position, then the reality is, um, is that everybody's in the same position and that there has to be some sort of relief at some point somewhere some asshole's going to have to figure out that they're going to have to let go of one of their crusty dollars and like let some other people have access to it. I mean, it's just, it's absurd the level of cruelty um, that surrounds all of us right now and the lack of any kind of uh, ethical compass, you know. But conversely, you know, you have people like, you know, Jose Andres and Marcus Samuelson and, um, and just really like to me, spectacular people that are stepping up in ways that are immeasurable. And I'm not able to contribute on that kind of level, um, but I can in a small way. And I think that a lot of us uh, in very small ways can contribute in a way that creates a sentence that then builds into a paragraph that then becomes a chapter that then becomes a book that then becomes the whole story. And I think to feel helpless is natural, but I think, um, I don't know, for me, I, I, I don't feel like I have that luxury. Like I, I don't want it. The plan going forward is to close to the public and pay it forward. Yeah, we closed, forward. we closed Sunday, that was it. Yeah, what so. does it look like if somebody wants to pay it forward? What's the setup gonna be at Succotash? Well, I, I set it up a couple weeks ago. We have our website, SuccotashKCMO.com and we have a pay it forward button and it's $10 increments and you pay it forward and we turn that into a minimum of a meal, um, but most of the times two. Um, because we're matching it and we're just using it to buy stuff. Uh, and then those meals or juices or coffees or whatever we have access to that's good and yummy and, you know, good for you and delicious or just, you know, not good for you, but delicious. And, uh, and then we're just hooking up with different hospitals and ERs and different places where we're delivering the food to them. You guys are so close to Hospital Hill. Did you yeah. have a lot of regulars from the hospital yeah. already? Yeah. Absolutely. We saw a lot of those people every single day. And to me, like abandoning them right now when they need us the most and when more than anything, they have to know when they're stuck in those walls and they're fighting for everybody that people outside know and that they give a shit. And so when people are doing pay it forwards and we're just dropping off like big meals, then they know somebody bought those meals. Somebody cared enough to say, I want somebody to have something. And I think the combination of sustenance, like physically and emotionally is the key. You have to have an Atta girl along with the cinnamon roll. Like it's not just the cinnamon roll, it's the I see you and I can't comprehend how hard this is for you. But in my small way, I can try to make it better. You know, this is awful. It's hard, but you know, it's like, what's, what's the, what's the alternative, you know, roll over or I guess I just, in the beginning, I made the decision that 
if I go down, I'm going down fighting. And if we go down, we go down together. And that we are going to keep going until they don't want to go anymore. Then that's fine. Call it. But as long as they want to keep fighting, then at the end of the day, it's just kind of a complex math problem. It's a bunch of little pieces of paper. There's tons of ways to get more of them. And with whatever's left standing at the end of this, we'll figure it out and we'll make more little stacks of paper. You know, it's just the way it is. And at the end of the day, the, the paper part only means freedom insofar as you can feed yourself and you can be comfortable or not. But other than that, like, who cares? Like, who gives a shit? For me. Are you having any trouble at this point sourcing enough ingredients to keep going? Nope. Do you? Okay. Nope. <laughs> that's a, that's no, good. Not for me. I'm, I'm super lucky in that I think in a weird way, I've been training for this my whole life. Um, about that. <laughs> well, I mean, I started with nothing. I had a $25 electric plug-in home stove. That was my stove for the first few years I was open. I didn't have any make tables. Everything was in sour cream containers and yogurt containers in a bus tub. My um, prep room was in the basement down a spiral staircase, and I had to put like sheet pans full of potatoes on my head and walk up with them. I mean, it just, I think because everything has been hard, none of this seems that hard. Like emotionally it's hard, but like the logistics of it, it doesn't seem like that big a paradigm shift. And I was incredibly fortunate in that I have bucked conventional wisdom with a restaurant. Um, I've never floated anything. I've never carried terms like even a week. I pay for everything the day it comes in my place and I have for 19 years. So there were a lot of people that rely on cash flow and have bigger operations um, that they started this at 30 or 45 days in the hole. And then if you have 30 or 45 days after that, where you're not having any income come in or you're having like 90% drop off or 80% drop off, then you're six months in the hole when you come out of this. Like for me, I've always kept stuff cheap and cheerful. You know, it's just, I, I do what I can with what I have. And if I can't afford a new espresso machine, then, you know, we just use that one and keep repairing it until we can, and I can pay cash for it. Or I'm not worried about anybody rolling in and taking my stuff. Like it's, it's shitty, but it's like that bumper sticker. My car is ugly as shit, but it's mine. You know, it's, and, and that's the way I've always felt. And people have always kind of um, given me a hard time about that. Like people in business, as long as I've been in business and they're like, no, you need to, you really need to sign for terms. You really need to do this. You really need to do your cat. And I'm of the ilk that because I'm alone and I don't have partners and I don't have access to a bank of cash or a bunch of stuff and I'm responsible for 25 people. I mean, like I'm responsible for them. And to me, I think I have to know where I'm at every day. And like, if I pay for everything that I know where I am and I know what I can do. And I know that with certainty and it's not some sort of like, uh, gambling. Yeah. Are you, are, are you worried about 
employees getting sick are they worried about? Because as you are on the front lines, I mean, those of us who are staying at home and operating from our kitchen table is one thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, this is what I will say. We have a core group of about eight people and they have all taken a pledge to themselves and each other that what they do is they come to work and they go home and that's it. And they love each other enough that they are holding to that and they are being uh, very responsible. And anybody that has any contact with anybody, anybody that has had any outside contact of that, they are kindly asked not to return to work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've not had that issue, which has been terrific. And it's literally a few times a week evaluating, how do you feel? What do you think? Where are you at? And we are literally on a week by week basis because the second somebody doesn't want to come in, they should go home. The second somebody doesn't feel like they want to or that they're comfortable. I, I, can I swear on this? Yeah, it's a podcast, right, Lindsay? Okay. So like, like, fuck the restaurant, you know, like who, like who cares? Yeah. Like who cares? So I'm, I'm of the ilk that it is only permissible and um, useful if there are people that truly want to, not out of obligation, not out of fear, not out of anything else, but because they truly want to. And if they don't, then going to call it. Because you a know? lot of that, I mean, a and lot so of far, people have... So far, so good, you know? But that was why going to that, like the pay it forward model, then you don't have, you know, 40 cars in a day coming up to you. You literally have the six, seven people. You package everything up. Somebody gloves up, masks up, you know, goggles up, and they go deliver to a curb to somebody that's expecting it. They don't go in the building. They leave it outside. Somebody takes it in. So for a while, you were doing carry out and pay it forward for healthcare workers, right? Correct. Yeah. How, how was the response for the pay it forward in the last couple of weeks? Bigger than their sales. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, incredibly generous, incredibly kind. Um, it's a great community that we're in. And we're very, very fortunate to be part of that community. And that's part of what keeps us going is that for a lot of people, we've always been kind of a safe space or kind of a community space or a place to look for kind of solace or you know, a laugh or a meal. I had a customer and I, I don't want to name him because I don't know that he would want to be, but came in and offered me a really nice chunk of money um, and was just like, listen, this place needs to be around. You need to be around. Um, all of this SBA stuff is tough. If you need some money to get through, it's here. No terms, no interest you know, here you go. Wow. You know, and that would take care of, you know, a couple months rent and utilities. Wow. And that's, I mean, like amazing, amazing. And that like Anthony got, you know, banked in a thousand dollar tip for the staff and like Will Forte, cause I did a catering with them and like a fundraiser with them tweeted out about the restaurant. And it's just been, 
if I'm being really honest, like the amount of people that have been um, unbelievably kind and thoughtful and supportive in ways that they can be are, are just immeasurable. And it's all the things that allow this to continue in a way that feels like the right thing to do instead of like a money grab or a, a, a publicity grab or, you know, it's, it's just none of that matters at the moment. It's just how do we hunker down and get through this with everybody well and intact and taken care of to the best of our ability? And how do we come out at the end of this with uh, our priorities in the right place and open in a way that makes sense? Because I think that, you know, unfortunately, due to the willful ignorance of a group of people that probably should not have been that willfully ignorant, um, there are going to be a lot of people that get sick because of Easter services and get sick because of Easter gatherings and because of following the, it, it just, it makes me angry, the amount of people looking for solace and comfort and guidance um, and basically being led into a place where they're getting the exact opposite. Um, and I can't blame somebody for looking for that, but it makes me sad that the people running those services don't have the sense to understand that tithing is not more important than people's lives right now. And there's no reason to not shift to online services or, or you know, people have a right to worship, certainly, and they have a need to worship, certainly. But the large public gatherings, I think, are going to have a huge fallout for a lot of people. And it really makes me sad for that. And, and I'm just very concerned for what I think is going to happen in the next two or three weeks. And I hope I'm wrong. But mm. I feel like I might not be. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about um, takeout in general? Because that is the model that a lot of people are using. Do you think that that has its problems? Or is it a pretty safe venture for people? Well, because I I think it depends. It's it's a wholly individual thing, but it's the same thing. Like, if anybody's going to be looking after the right kind of things, it's restaurants and restaurant owners because we are every day. You're dealing with you know a hamburger that could kill somebody if you cook it wrong, or you leave it on the counter too long, or you don't do it. I mean, there's so many like critical things that can happen in a restaurant where you can have a terrible impact on people by not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I think right now people are hyper-vigilant. I don't think they're less vigilant. I don't think that they're slacking because they have, you know, like 10 pounds of this they need to get rid of. So, well, I guess it's a couple of days old. You know, nobody's, nobody that I know personally is behaving in any way other than perfectly ethically and doing their very, very best to make sure that everybody's taken care of. I think if they're following protocols for how they're preparing food, if everybody is checking with their staffs and they have small staffs, like every day, are you well? Have you been anywhere? You know, I just, um, from what I'm reading and what I'm seeing, there is not an issue with, um, with it being transmitted through food or being sent that way through food. Most people are putting things in containers where at home you can very easily take spatulas, put them on your own plate wash your hands, eat your meal. Somebody delivering to you has a mask and gloves. 
Um, I don't think it's any different than somebody showing up at your door and leaving a pizza on your front porch. And then do you wonder, is there something on the, on the cardboard? I mean, my irrational self is like, let me Clorox the cardboard. And yeah. My, you know, my human self is like, let me eat the pizza. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's just, it, it is, it's like, and I think that because none of us knows, and I'm certainly not a doctor, I'm certainly not a, you know, an expert. And so I try to read even though the information is really hard and overwhelming a lot. Mm-hmm. I try to read every day. I try to find as much as I can find every day. I try to find whatever little bits of truth are in all of the inflammatory stuff. Um, and I do my best to try to stay on top of that because I never want to put somebody in danger, not my staff or not the public. And if there comes a point at which it feels like that could be possible, I'm opting out at the risk that's too big for me. I mean, I think it's a big ethical question that I've been thinking about too, is as a writer, do you advocate that people support the industry that you, you know, that you love or are we going to see that later be a problem? And what, what I, do you, I mean, what do you think? What, what is your well, thought? You I mean, asked the question. Be, so yeah. I'm curious what your thought is on it. Well, I worried about it at first, but I think I've been reading um, more reassuring claims that they really don't have any science from past coronaviruses that it can be transmitted through food. So again, the point, I think if everybody in a, you know, in an operation is doing what they need to do, masking up, gloving up, not coughing, not coming to work when they're sick, we're probably fine. Mm -hmm. And for people to think about it when they bring the packaging in their house and when they go interact with someone, you know, if you wear a mask to the grocery store, you should probably wear a mask to go get. I agree. Carry out also. Yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, there is some due diligence that you have to do on your own and you can't rely on the world around you to make good decisions for you. And I think personal responsibility is something a lot of people are learning in this that maybe they weren't that uh, acquainted with before. So, I mean, I think that that's a big shift. I also think that, you know, you feel like Corvinos, they're killing it. Like they're doing an amazing job with ravenous and with stuff to go. Black Sheep is doing great as a community kitchen. Like there, there's so many people doing different things. Like the Rieger is, is just remarkable. Crane Brewing, remarkable. Like so many people, remarkable, but all different in all different models. The one commonality is that they're people focused and they're problem focused and problem solving focused. And I think for people to whom their places are extensions of or in absence of their families, those places become meaningful in different ways. And so the loss of them is very different. And the, the thought of the loss of them is very different. So I think that the way practices are unfolding in smaller places is really kind of a a testament to maybe where things are heading. I think if you trust the place and you trust the people, you can trust what they're giving you. You know, maybe that's how you decide where you choose to put your money is, you know, a combination of, yeah, I want to support people that are small businesses, but I also have confidence in the fact that their names are all over it, their lives are all over it, you know, decades of their lives are in the DNA of it. And of course, they're going to do everything they can to 
make us feel better while they try to save themselves.